Welcome to the Warning Track Power Hour. I'm Andrew Scaff. He's Mike Worman. Today we're going to talk some more about the Royals' slow start, uh, the opening of the NBA playoffs with their playing tournament, um, yeah. and a little bit more um, NFL offseason news with uh, Odell Beckham signing uh, in Baltimore and how that impacts the league and <laughs> and uh, Lamar Jackson's um, possible being happy and coming back to the team we'll we'll talk about that a little but uh we'll start today with uh the royals they're off to a slow three and nine start um cause for concern or just um just a slow start what do do you think i am it's i think it's a i think it's a cause for concern Right now, because um, nothing, the Royals are not hitting terribly well. Their starting pitching has been okay. Their relief pitching hasn't been good. Uh, their uh, batting hasn't been great. I don't think their fielding has been great either. Um, they're just they've they've kind of just you know struggled uh, in most aspects of the game. Sometimes that's because it's early in the season. But I think if you're a team like the Royals that are not expected to do that well um it really really hurts if you have a bad start because yeah um that way they're only going to be behind everybody and then they're not going to have really be able to um catch up again probably they they, they, they have if, like so they were nine and three uh you know i would say they probably still aren't going to win the division but at least they have that six game uh cushion and then like you know they can be kind of bad like the royals typically are and then they just kind of you know, 12 games, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's, you know, it's, uh, a, you know, a 15th of the season already. And so it's a, it's a long stretch and um, it's maybe 16th of the season, but uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a decent chunk. And I think I, I was thinking the Royals were going to turn it around uh, in San Francisco. Uh, they had a bad start in the first two series uh, to the twins and the Blue Jays. You only won one, one one of those games. Good good teams though. Yeah, good teams. And they got shut out three times in those first. Yeah, seven. and it was at home. You think you want? You think you play better at home? But then they go to San Francisco, uh, maybe trying to avenge their 2014 World Series loss. Uh, and they won two out of three when they probably should have won three out of three. Probably. And but they won the first two games and it was looking a little better at least anyway. Now, but the last loss seems to have sent them into another mini slump since they haven't played particularly well in Texas the last couple of days. So they got I, blown out yesterday. They probably should have also won tonight's game, but did yeah. Not. So so I don't, you know, I guess it's not really cause for concern, but you kind of, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where you would say, well, you'd at least want them to have a decent start and kind of not be out of the division. Uh, yeah in april and that's not a, possi- a giant hole anyway right and that's a possibility because they're already four and a half games back which isn't that much to make up but uh it's you know they're one of the worst three teams right now in the american league uh, yeah. along with uh, detroit and oakland so i'm not i'm a little i'm, I'm disappointed again it's still early so it's I, I maybe i'm just being more pessimistic than i should but partly because historically when the royals have a really bad start they have a really bad team and right, it's not like one of those teams that I think maybe the 2013 
Royals were a little bit of an exception when they had a bad start, and then they almost made the playoffs. Right. Uh, and then they kind of followed through the next two years and were really good. And even well, they, they, during that stretch was when they when they would turn it over to the young kids late in the year. They would do really well, and then Dayton Moore would you know add a bunch of free agents in the off season, and they'd start not with the young kids again, but with the old guys, but a new crop of old guys, and maybe one of the young kids back in there. But yeah, but like whatever momentum they seemed to have with a certain group, you know, they wouldn't didn't carry over at all into the next season. <laughs> yeah, that's this year it. they kind of ended with the uh, or you know the previous season ended with the young kids and. This year has also started with the young kids, but it seems like the old pattern has resurfaced of not being off to a good start. Yeah, I, I, it reminds me of those, um, unfortunately, those 05, 06 to like 2010 Royals, <laughs> that really bad stretch uh, following the kind of mirage of a 2003 season in the, yeah. early, the early Dayton Moore years. Um, but it's still early. I think, you know, if Matt Quattraro and uh, Quattraro and, the, and the other guys that came from um, Tampa can use some of that Tampa magic that uh, yeah. seems to have left them. Well, do you, do you find it strange, around. though, very, very quickly? Matt Quattraro has been out with it for a few days um, after having been um, with COVID. So is it strange that Paul Hoover actually has more wins than Matt Quattrero has as a manager? <laughs> it's a little uh, strange, but I guess, it's, I guess there haven't been very many games. So like, no. two, I think one, Hoover has two and Quattrero has one. So like, yes, it's a little sad that Quattrero only has one win, but yeah. um, but there haven't been a ton of games. So hope I would guess that Quattrero will wind up with more than wins than Hoover, but. Yeah, I guess you never know, but um, this is yeah. It's, but it's, it's just really strange having a you know a new manager, and then two weeks in, the bench coach has more managerial wins than the manager has, right? Yeah, and this is one of those things that uh, do you think because uh, the Rays are off to a splendid start, and both um, uh, Matt uh, Quatrero. And um, uh, Paul uh, Hoover uh, are coming. Uh, you came from the Rays, right? I think Hoover came from the Rays too. Yep. And so, like, they are both gone. And it seems like since they left, the Royals they haven't won much. And then the Rays have won everything. They're eleven and lost, right? Yeah. Undefeated. And and maybe by Thursday they'll be thirteen and zero, uh, which would uh, tie them for the best start in major league uh history do you know the teams that uh went 13 and 0 and how they did in the uh uh during that season how they finished the season i would assume that both was it more than one team that was 13 and 0 two teams uh both were 13 and 0 in the 1980s ironically i'm gonna assume they both made the playoffs though because that usually that doesn't Okay, uh, so disappear the, if you win thirteen in a row. So the nineteen, so one was an American League team, and one was a National League team, but both of them are now National League teams. Oh, uh, so uh, the the National League team oh. that was originally a National League team was the nineteen eighty two Braves. Okay, uh, with must have been the Brewers uh, then for the other. Bob, yeah, Bob Horner, I guess, and Dale Murphy, and 
don't know who was also on the team, but uh, they were 13 and 0. The Braves would go to finish 89 and 73, and they won the National League West that year, but they lost in the LCS. Okay. Uh, against, I think St. Louis Cardinals won the 82 World Series, so they would have, the Cardinals beat them in the playoffs. And then the Brewers, uh, they had a good season. Uh, they finished 91 and 71, but um, they were actually only third in the AL East. Um, I don't know who won the AL East. That year, I'm sorry, I don't have the 1987. Uh, they were in the the East that year. Yeah, the Brewers were in the East. Um, yeah, the Tigers. Oh, yeah, the Tigers won won uh, that year. Uh, 98. They were 98 and 64. The Blue Jays were 96 and 66. So they had a good team for a while with uh, Lloyd Mosby and George Bell and uh, teams like that, and players like that. Um, Tony Fernandez, uh, Joe. Uh, Joe Carter wasn't on the team yet at that point. Um, but some good uh, Jesse Barfield, uh, good outfielders, good players. Um, and the Tigers were still kind of the same team that they were with Kirk Gibson and Alan Trammell and Lance Parrish that they were in the 1984 season uh, when they had when they actually won the World when they won the World Series and they had the best start of any baseball team through its first 40 games. Uh, really? Do you care to guess what their record was through 40 games? Uh, I'll say 29-11. Uh, you are you are well under. Uh, they were 35-5. and five Wow. Through 40 games. 35-5. and five. So they won seven out of eight games for a quarter of the season. Wow. And they ended up Winning 100 and 100 and uh, how many games? 104, 108 games, something like that. 104 games or 104 and 58, but they were never um, not in first place. Wow. Right? They started out the first three games tied for first place. And then uh, by April 7th, they're up a half game and they never looked back. They, when they were 35 and five, they were up eight and a half games on May 24th. Um, and then they kind of went to a slide where they lost uh, three straight, uh, but it didn't really matter. Uh, they cruised and uh, then they won um, the ALCS against the young Kansas City Royals. They swept the, uh, the Royals, uh, who were the Western Division champions, uh, in a kind of surprise with kind of young. Uh, pitching, uh, helping lead the way, like uh, young uh, Brett Saberhagen, Mark Gubza, um Bud Black, Charlie Liebrandt, um, and you know, of course, George Brett's still playing. But in, in the universe in '85, the Royals would, would win. Uh, but um, yeah, the Tigers that year, 35 and five. Wow. So uh, yeah, their first 20, they were 18 and two in their first 20 games, and they were 17 and three in their next 20 games. And both and, and those twenty and so uh, eighteen and two is tied for the best uh, twenty game start. If they had started seventeen and three, they would be tied for the second game start. So they have two of the best, you know, probably twenty game, uh, you know, stretches. Stretches. Uh, but one of those was the start of the season, though. Yeah, wow. yeah, both of the, yeah, both of them were yeah the first two, and okay. and yeah, they kind of. Uh, just when we're steady after that, but they had a um, 
really solid uh, team. Uh, that was Lance Parrish. Lou Whitaker was on that team, of course. Alan Trammell. A very young Howard Johnson was also on that team. Chet Lemon, Kirk Gibson, Daryl Evans. Even uh, They even had several uh, sort of part-time players who had uh, OPSs of 125 and above. <laughs> really? Yeah. One of those being uh, future Royals first base coach, Rusty Kuntz. Uh, Kuntz hit um, he had 168 at-bats, two home runs, only 22 RBIs, which is why he didn't play uh, that much. But he had 286 batting average, 393 on base percentage, 414 slugging. So, like, a lot of those bench guys had crazy on-base percentages. And I think if it were a different era like today, those guys would have played in front of the starters, and that team would have been even better uh, <laughs> than it was because – so, like, um, if they had kept up that. So, like, um, so they had uh, Johnny Grubb, who was a DH. He only had 216 at-bats, but he had a 395 on-base percentage, uh, 131 OPS. But he was not the full-time DH. That was uh, veteran Daryl Evans. Evans had 16 home runs and 63 RBIs, so he uh, got to play a lot more because he also had a bigger name and more RBIs. But, like, he only had a 106 OPS. Um, uh, it said Rusted Koontz at a 125 uh, OPS. Um, is that OPS he, plus or is that OPS, OPS plus? OPS plus, yeah. I mean, yeah, OPS plus, yeah. Um, although the outfield is pretty good, I guess he probably would have started maybe in front of Larry Herndon, who had only a 104 OPS plus. But uh, Kurt Gibson had a huge year, uh, uh, but yeah, all of those guys had really good on base percentage they walked a lot um those were really stats that were even you know praised in that era though no but it seems like maybe that tigers those tigers teams were on something because like um kirk gibson was at 282 batting average by 363 on base alan trammell 314 batting average 382 on base Lou Whitaker was 357 on base, but that, but then like compared to like those uh, backups, uh, Rusty Coots had a 393, John Grubb 395. Uh, they had an outfielder named Rupert Jones who had a 137 OPS plus, and he had a 346 on base percentage, um, and he only batted like 29 games. So like it's it's 79 games. So like yeah, it's it's a little bit interesting how those teams were were valued. Uh, their pitching staff was decent, but for the era. I would say not great. Um, Jack Morris was their top of the line starter. He only had for, you know, he had a 3.60 ERA the whole year, but that's not that great for the 80s, 3.6. Um, he was 1911. Um, and I guess Tiger Stadium was a small stadium, but um, they had a couple of very good relievers in Willie Hernandez and Aurelio Lopez. Um, I don't know if you remember Willie Hernandez, I believe, um, won the MVP that year in 1984. That was back when closers won. He won both the Cy Young and the MVP in 1984. Isn't that crazy? crazy? Yeah, like he is. Uh, so let me look at it. I'll show you his stats. Okay, so he was he had a nine and three record. 
1.92 ERA in 140 innings. That's a lot of innings for 1.92 ERA, though. Um, he had uh, a 204 ERA plus, um, a whip of 0.94, um, and that's a ridiculous he, ERA plus. Yeah, 204. Yeah, he had I think 32. No, those are like. That's like an order of magnitude higher than. Yeah, he had thirty-two saves. Yeah, um, than league average at least anyway. Right? As a relief pitcher, he had a four-point-eight WAR, which is crazy high, but still it was only four-point-eight, and he was a relief pitcher. It was like that year. Um, I think it was a strike sort shortened season. We talked about this before in '81 in the NFL when a kicker, Mark Mosley won the MVP award because he was the kicker for the Redskins. He only missed one field goal. That was that was like this time period in the early 80s when like uh, sports writers were fascinated by kickers and closers and seeing them as extremely, extremely valuable, even though like, you know, they are, but it's not, but like, um, you know, it's, they don't, they don't play enough to really. Yeah. It's, it's more of an automatic thing, right? It's like they're, yeah. you, you shouldn't notice them unless they're bad. Yeah, this was like, I think yeah, but but I think kind of like if um like circa 2014, 2015 Wade Davis had played in the eighties, how like he probably would have been MVP for the twenty fifteen Royals uh, yeah. team, right? That's like yeah, maybe. Yeah, so like given that those those uh sports writers. Uh but yeah, he was the um MVP that year. Uh yeah, in the um, 2015 Royals, you'd think like the the trio of the Royals relievers, the you know, HDH, probably should have been like, you know, the co-MVP sort of thing for the team, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so Alan Trammell had 6.7 more, Chet Lemon 6.2, Kirk Gibson 5.1, Willie Hernandez 4.3. They had a lot of guys with over 4. Lee Whitaker 4.3. Um, yes, yeah, so they had a lot of... Uh, as a uh, war as a team, but it was, that was an interesting, I, that was the first year I remember watching baseball. Um, I watched some of that 84 playoff series against the Royals on TV. And that's, what I, that's the first baseball I remember really watching. And then 85 when we were in first uh, sort of ending, ending kindergarten, starting first grade was like the real, uh, watching at the Royals. And that was about the same time as well that the Kansas City Kings were leaving Kansas City uh, yeah. going to Sacramento. And I was when I was literally little, I was I was a Kings fan. I liked the basketball team. But then um, I think my parents uh, wanted, wanted me to be sad about the Kings and the Royals games. And I followed the Royals after that. But um, it was yeah, interesting. Yeah, those, those, those uh, uh, 84 Tigers. So if the Rays are 30, so they have to go 36 and four to pass the Tigers through uh, 40 games. You think they can do it? I, no, I don't. I don't expect that at you all. You think they can come close to the 35 and five? Probably not. I mean, I'd be a little <laughs> surprised if they're, you know, up around 30 wins, but by the 40 game mark, because that's, that just usually doesn't happen. It's just, yeah, 30 and 10 is. Mean, I mean, they're they've game. been very prolific though. Like I think right now they have the number one offense and the number one defense by runs per game. So it's no, it's not a surprise that they're undefeated based on their run scoring ability and run prevention ability. So, yeah. 
if they keep that up, they're probably going to be <laughs> beat that record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It right doesn't now, seem likely, though. They have played pretty soft teams from what I've been told. I did not, I haven't actually looked at who they, their opponents were, but they will. I've heard that as a knock against them. But as they played, it looks like they started with the Tigers, the Nationals, the A's, and now the Red Sox is who they've played so far. So, yeah, the Tigers, are, Nationals, and A's were all supposed to be bad. Yeah, bottom bottom of the league. But maybe they're bad because they're playing the uh, Rays. But like, yeah, the Red Sox were the first kind of decent team that they're playing. So we'll see what happens. Uh, they've they've won the of- uh, two games against the Red Sox already, one to nothing and seven to two. Okay, so they got one more game against the Red Sox probably. Yeah. On Wednesday, um, if they win that game, they will pass the 1981 Oakland A's for the best, uh, for the for the uh, so to take sole possession of the third best start in Major League league history. Uh, through yeah, uh, uh, just starting the games. So the, well, I they, guess the, they actually have two games against Boston left. So. Yeah, okay. Two games, Wednesday and then games. Thursday afternoon game before heading to Toronto for a three game series. Yeah. So if if you're curious, um, the that uh, uh, Detroit Tigers team um, started nine and zero. Yeah. Their uh, first loss was against the Kansas City Royals. Uh, they lost uh, that year, uh, the, that that game on April nineteenth uh, of nineteen eighty four. Uh, April nineteenth is uh, MJ's uh, birthday. Uh, he would have been three, I guess. Uh, but uh, April nineteenth, nineteen eighty four, uh, Brett Saberhagen got the win, and Dan Quisenberry got the save. And uh, that was actually a rescheduled game. Because of a rain out the previous day, so they only played a two game series uh, that day. I guess they moved it to Wednesday and Thursday. Um, that game lasted a cool uh, two minutes or two hours twenty seven minutes. Most of these games were that short uh, until uh, crazily um, they played a game on April twenty seventh that lasted five hours and forty four minutes how how many innings do you think that game went through five hours 44 minutes it has to be 14 innings somewhere in there it was 19 19 innings, innings. wow man that's fast for a 19 inning that's, game. that's like a double that's like that's more than two games yeah and they actually um lost that game to cleveland so one of their so that was uh so they were went Nine and zero. Then they went lost to the Royals. That game went nine and one. They beat the Royals for their to go nine and zero. Then they lost to go nine and one. And then they were uh, they lost that game. That was the next game they lost. So they were sixteen and two after uh, that nineteen inning loss. But they lost that game uh, eight to four somehow in nineteen innings. So like when there was yeah. um, So the game was tied three three going into the extra innings. Then each Team the uh in, the Indians and the Tigers each scored a run in the tenth inning, no runs at all until the nineteenth inning. Um, I want the 
Tigers had four errors in that game. I wonder if those errors ended up costing them uh, mm. uh, the win. But um, I'm looking at the box score now. Um, yeah, those errors cost them. Uh, Glenn Abbott um, finished the game. He uh, pitched the last five innings. And a lot, he allowed four runs, none of them earned. So it was errors that cost him. And, wow. Uh, that 19 inning game. That's a marathon, though. That is a long game. I've never, what's the longest game you've been to? I've been, I was at the, at the, at the time, the longest nine inning National League game. Uh, would have been like 1996 Rockies Dodgers in Colorado. It was like a four hours and 50 minutes, something like that, like nine inning game. It was like ridiculous because <laughs> it was like a 13 to 11 game with a bunch of home runs, a bunch of walks, a lot of pitching changes. Oh, wow. It was like, yeah, four and a half, five hours, somewhere in that area for a nine inning game. I think that's the longest game I've been to <laughs> in time. Um, longest nine inning game, at least anyway. That's long. Uh, I don't remember the longest nine inning time. And then I think I've been to like a 13 inning game somewhere in there. I went to a 16 inning game when I was a kid. Yeah. I remember against the it was against the Rangers. Um but I was re- I was looking more deeply into the box score and how they scored. Um in the ninth inning, um uh, it was tied four to four. And then um two errors in a row were committed by uh the pitcher on sacrifice buds. And then uh on the third consecutive batter, there was an error uh uh by um uh, the left fielder. So, wow. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite players of all time uh, was playing for the Indians uh, that year. Uh, actually, several of my favorite players were playing for the Indians at that point. People who lasted forever in baseball. One of them was Julio Franco. Yeah. What year did Julio Franco retire? Baseball. Uh, playing on that 84 uh he was in like mid to late 2000s wasn't he like 2008 maybe yeah he was he, he was playing braves i think by then right he he finished his career in 1990 i mean in 2007 you were right he uh finished his career with the Mets and the Braves, he played for the Braves mostly. He yeah. Was, oh, he actually. And then the he Braves split. To yeah. So he he was forty eight years old. Yeah. When he retired. That is old. Uh, and That's I remember those. Yeah. I think he was still he was still okay. Yeah. Hit two twenty two as a forty eight year old. Yeah, that's not bad. He hit. <laughs> He hit 309 as a 45-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he that's not bad. 309 with a 378 on base percentage as a 45-year-old. Yeah. For the Braves in 2004. That's incredible. So is is he the oldest player to hit a home run then? Because uh, he, he did hit a home run. Yeah, I think he's even older than Huey. Huey uh, as a 48-year-old. Uh, Jennings was. He hit a home run as a 48-year-old. I think Minnie Minoso played a long time. Uh, 
Uh, he always came back. So his career was technically 1946 to 1980 because he was 56 when he took at-bats for the White Sox in 1980. Um, he, he, I think he's the oldest person with a hit because he has a hit at age 52 for the White Sox. Um, his last home, but he, but he retired for the first time at age 40. So maybe Franco is uh, the highest. Uh, the other player who I associate as being extremely, extremely old is just the guy who looked very old, but he also played a very long time. Um, and that is Otis Nixon, oh, who, yeah. looked, who looked like, like a mummy, I thought. Uh, yeah. He was so, like, stretched and, like, desiccated. He and oh. uh, I think Ron Karkavice as well both looked like uh, <laughs> mummies that had been unwrapped and were uh, – playing uh baseball they always had this weird grimace and their face was always like you know sort of like beef jerky and um i guess uh otis nixon also played for the braves uh in his final year um he retired at age 40 uh for atlanta in 1999 so uh, though. Ron Carter. Like, like 17 years. <laughs> no, i want to look up ron carter voice ron carter voice only played 12 years in the nfl Actually, that picture of him. Yeah. Uh, He played for the White Sox all 12 years and was serviceable as a catcher. But his face looked like a catcher's mitt as well. (laughs) I think he probably smoked like four packs a day or something and, and, or was like lived in a wind tunnel and like had like, you know, sand blown into his face all the time. Um, you don't know that he didn't. I mean, yeah, I don't know either. I looked up Ron Karkavice money, and I can't find anything. Nothing, nothing <laughs> particular came up. I looked up Otis Nixon money. Ron Ron Karkavice homered in his final game. <laughs> Someone else mentioned that uh, Otis Nixon looked like a mummy. I think I did that in, uh, as well in a, a very old, it's probably not there anymore, a very old uh, Royals Review article that I wrote, a parody. Um, yeah. And uh, um, I mentioned uh, Otis Nixon. It was, it was sort of an Onion article style of, um, but uh, I mentioned that Otis Nixon was a mummy. Uh, but somebody else also I see uh, on on the interweb uh, also believed that uh, it would be funny if it was your, your article that you found and that somebody else you're quoting is also you. I wish. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, it's actually um, Crow on uh, Mr. Science Theory 3000, one of the robots, uh, uh, made the comment that a mummy looks like Otis, Otis. A mummy in a movie looks like Otis Nixon. Oh, so the other way around? Yeah, yes. Maybe, maybe I don't think that's where I've heard it. I don't think I heard them. I, I think we were. I think Crow, the robot, and I just. It was like it was like Leibniz and Newton each arriving independently at calculus. Uh, and uh, I, I, and uh, 
Crow uh, from Mystery Science Theater 3000 each arrived independently at the conclusion that Otis Nixon looked like a mummy. Must be. Yeah, I, I, but I can't find that on. I guess I could have to look through the Royals Review archives, but I couldn't find it when I searched it. Um, let's see. No. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think yeah, it's, I'm not finding anything. I, I don't think it's archived anymore in the new Royals because I think Royals Review is switched um hosts and, the and they don't have like circa 2009 uh i didn't know you did you write like fan articles on i did i wrote one and i commented a lot back in the in the time when the roles were terrible yeah and i wrote that fan shot it was it got some good publicity but it was um yeah uh, yeah it was yeah, it, it has vanished. I hope I maybe maybe I'll, maybe I'll if I look more maybe I can find it. But um, yeah. But, but anyway, uh, you probably have it on some some old flash drive. Yeah, I have it probably on some old computer that I I desktop yeah. or something somewhere. Um, I I probably at one point had it in my Gmail, <laughs> and I think I archived a lot of it. I don't know where it is. So, hmm. but anyway. It's it's perhaps lost, but it involved. Um, if I remember correctly, this was during. I don't know if you remember this uh, when uh, Royals backup catcher Matt Trainer was uh, a sensation. You remember that? Um, I don't remember him really being a sensation, but you remember he was married to uh, Olympic beach volleyball uh, multiple gold medalist Misty May Trainer. Yes. And um, this was because Matt Trainer was doing so well. Uh, the Royals wanted to find, and Misty, and Misty May Trainer was doing so well. The Royals wanted to find another trainer uh, to bring back to their team, and so they, so, so they um, unearthed uh, uh, former uh, Pittsburgh Pirates Hall of Famer Pie Trainer, oh. who'd, who'd been long dead, and um, through some sort of, uh, you know. Uh, Frankenstein-esque uh, experimentation, and they brought back Pie Trainer, and uh, he was this kind of wraith of a figure. But he did very, very well uh, uh, for the Royals. But uh, he, yeah, I, 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 that article has been lost. Um, it's some somewhere good, you'll find it somewhere. Yeah, it'll be we can it'll be reco- recovered somewhere eventually, right? We'll find it. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, it was once on. I remember I, I I had searched for it a few years ago and I found it. So no. Yeah. It's it's somewhere, Mike. Okay, well we'll have to look for it. It's it's a it's a wonderful piece of of uh onion-esque uh sports writing. Yeah. And this was uh so anyway, but um I don't know. That's I, I don't have anything else to say about baseball right now. Uh, well, I, t- Tampa's I, off to their potentially epic start. The Royals are not off to a great start, but not the worst scenario. It seems like they are heating up a bit. Uh, we'll have to see what happens with them. You call if you call zero and three in their last three games, heating up. Uh, well, I mean the bats are they're scoring some more runs. Like they've been shut out. I think three of their first seven games, and then 
I guess they're two and three in their the last first five. five games, even I think actually. So, but they have not been shut out since then. So that's that's a positive. They've been scoring yeah. a few more runs. They've lost a few games, but kind of for their own mistakes. That hopefully they'll work those kinds of things out. Like who should be pitching when and stuff like that. Um, some of those roles haven't quite been established yet. I don't think so. We'll have to see how things shake out. It does seem like Chapman may be taking over as the closer <laughs> sooner rather than later. We might guess <laughs> after today's performance from uh, you know who who is the uh, the current team closer. I guess uh, he did not did not have a great uh, performance <laughs> today. Scott Barlow. That's too bad. Mm, I uh, had a I had a good line that I remembered from the uh, from that pie train article. It, 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 was, it was I think it was was a I think Tony Muser might have been the manager still, or somebody. Um, uh, no, it probably would have been uh, not Tony Muser. It would have been what's his name. Um, First manager Dayton Moore, Trey Holman. Trey Holman was the manager. Oh yeah, and he said because because uh, um, Pytrainer was unearthed this kind of skeletal figure, and he said he liked the fire in his eye sockets, and that was the line. And I just looked up fire in his eye sockets in quotes. Apparently, um, the author of Percy Jackson, uh, in uh, the lightning thief was also he also used that term fire in his eye sockets but i think that may have been after <laughs> my use of it so i think I, I think my best lines are getting stolen uh from me by um well-known uh media personalities must be in the future and uh, you know, uh, but anyway it's it's a it's a tragedy that that article has been lost, but it's also um, not a tragedy, I guess, yet for the Royals. They could still come out and bounce back, but it's looking a little uh, iffy at this point. Yeah. Shall we move on to uh, the, the the NBA playoffs, which I believe uh, uh, two of the games tonight have just concluded? Yes, that is correct. The uh, play-in tournament. If you maybe first of all, what what do you think of this um, play-in tournament as compared to the like in CAA play-in games, where teams play in for a certain seed? There's four teams competing for two seeds, but it's a kind of a different format. I I like it. I I kind of like it. I like um, I in some ways it it helps it devalues the regular season a little bit more. Because yeah. now there are ten teams in each conference that can get to the playoffs, and there are only thirty teams in the in the NBA. So, like twenty out of thirty teams are going to make the playoffs. But um, it it kind of ensures, I think, that the teams playing at the end of the season, the team, the best teams at the end of the season, um, are going to get into the playoffs. Mm. It's, but but in some ways, I think it harms uh, the top seeds because now, like. Um, they have to wait a couple extra days. They have to wait a little extra, uh, extra, and they have. Well, I guess the extra time to rest. You would think maybe it's a little rough. Get, get a little. There's that rest, rest, rest yeah. line. But um, you could also say, well, now they're going to be playing definitely 
a better hotter team as the set like so like this like the two seeds especially is going to be playing you know like if the set if like somebody had sunk down as the seven and then kind of continued to sink they could be out of the playoffs completely yeah and two other teams that were lower seed maybe eighth seed or ninth or tenth seed they both could move up and be uh uh in that seventh spot and it's a uh, um I guess I guess only the eight seed could go to the seven spot because the winner of the seven eight automatically gets the seven. Right. Um, so, so that eighth seed, uh, it could be like it could. I guess that could help the one seed because the hot eighth seed is now the seventh seed. But it, I think it definitely hurts the two because it makes sure that the best team is probably going to be seven. But also it could hurt the one because. Um, if the if like that seven or eighth seed has been fading and they continue to fade, one of those nine ten teams that maybe was heating up at the end of the year is now going to be eight, and maybe they have an, they have a chance to upset um, uh, the one. Yeah, but I do like the NBA playoffs the best. Of, uh, I like that format because I think it ensures that the best team is going to win. Mm-hmm. Although you could say playoff basketball and regular season basketball are different in the nba the way it's slowed down and like it's more physical but um i think having seven games uh really in a in basketball really ensures that the better team is going did to they, is the first round do they play seven game series or do they play only is it a only a five game series for the they, first round it was once five and they moved to seven i don't know if they have they, they haven't moved back to five i don't think that's what i just can't right. i can't remember if it went to I'll I'll look it up, but it is a, it is a seven game series. Yeah, so. yeah, they moved it um, to seven, maybe fifteen, twenty years ago, almost now. Yeah, and yeah, I, I usually don't really pay that close attention to it until until like the the conference championships. So like the the opening round, I don't usually watch a whole lot of anyway, but. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I usually watch most of the conference championships and then and then finals. Typically, do you watch most of it or no? I I, I might watch a game here and there. Yeah, um, but I watch more of the playoffs than I do the regular season. That's for sure. Yeah, but I have I I I tend also lately um, to to be like the NBA playoffs usually occur like during finals time in at school and stuff like that. So like the the, the end rush for the academic year uh so i don't watch it quite as much maybe sometimes in june i watch it once i once some of the um you know my academic duties are lighter uh but yes also by that point it's summer and i'm maybe not paying attention to the basketball anymore i'm thinking more about baseball or uh something like that but um i yeah i I, I do like the way the NBA playoffs are formatted. I think in some ways it's probably the most, in some ways it's boring if you want just upsets. Uh, but I think it also, but it showcases, I think, um, drama and because of, of the, the arc of a series and the, and it's, I think it's even better than baseball because I think um, baseball, baseball games in general are more random than basketball because mm. there's fewer scoring opportunities. And um, in basketball, I think 
you, you can, can get like kind of a fluky sweep in baseball. Yeah. Where you rarely would get a fluky sweep in the NBA. Yeah, especially if it's you need a four game sweep. Uh mm-hmm. to win. Well, and, home, and home court seems to matter more than home field in baseball. Right. Typically. Yeah. I think in in baseball it depends so much on who's pitching. So if you like in the playoffs, I think it's easy, especially the way, the way teams get more rest during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It's it's easier for a pitching heavy team. Uh, or or like a real like a you know a, or a team starter. of three good starters. Yeah, a top heavy starting team or a team that has lots of good relievers that can get rest every day, yeah. like like the Royals did. Uh, like you know they would. It didn't matter if this starter got three innings or four innings. Uh, the relief guys could finish. If, and... if they had to go five starters deep, I don't think they would have done well. <laughs> really? No. Yeah. In some ways, I think they they kind of signaled that new era of baseball with relievers pitching more and maybe you know even the idea that a relief pitcher should start a game um mm-hmm. or like you know not going through the lineup a certain number of times that became a, a really big talking point it's um, unfortunate that the royals didn't continue that strategy you know to the next couple of steps they just sort of like stopped it there and and other yeah. teams actually had success with it like the rays yeah I think partly that was because the Royals didn't have as much talent in the last next couple of years. Uh, oh, I don't think it's talent related. It was uh... well, it's, it's also that, but I think it's because I think if they had better bull, a better bullpen and like better offense, like they yeah. did in 2015, like they lost. I think after after 2017, especially they they lost pretty much everybody. Well, they except for Sal. Dayton Moore made a couple of trades that I think really sunk the team in like trying to hang on for another year or two and make another run yeah. with the guys they had. And if they would have started the rebuild earlier, I think they would be much, much further along. Yeah, but I don't, I, but, but I, I they, they made a couple of trades of, of relief pitchers specifically that really gutted the, the bullpen. Yeah, I think they yeah. thought they could, and they were they never, never the same after that. Manufacturing relievers the way they were. Yeah. Um, but it didn't quite work out. But I think the way they tried to hold on and go for it, I I preferred that than oh we won the World Series now let's let's do the Marlins thing and sell, and and rebuild immediately. I didn't I didn't want to see that, but it seemed like there were certain things that they like they specifically like made more trades late in a season that hurt them for the long yeah, term because they they just, because what they did didn't work out. Yeah, I think it's I think it's mainly because they didn't work out and they had yeah. caught lightning in a bottle for a couple of years and then. Um, you know, like you really to win a world series, not only you have to be good, but you also have to be lucky. And the Royals were lucky almost two entire postseasons, they were, yeah, extremely fortunate in 2014 through uh the LCS. Then they got a little less fortunate in the world series and ended up losing just barely. And then they were pretty fortunate as well in the 2015 postseason, you know, especially after slow starts against um. Houston, uh, Houston, especially in the uh, div- divisional series, and then the, you know, they ended up kind of really playing well, well against uh, the Blue Jays and the Mets. Neither and both of those teams kind of crumbled uh, in those series. So I think they 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 caught uh, they 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 were fortunate, and like even the you know even good teams don't always win the playoffs. So. Um, as like we said, baseball is a little more. It's a little more chaotic. 
and some of the other sports. Yeah. I think it might even be more chaotic than football, even though football, you only get one game um, to, to play. And I'm not sure. Do you think football has more upsets in the playoffs or baseball has more upsets in the playoffs? Well, in individual games, baseball. In series, maybe even still baseball. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's like, like if you yeah. think about it, like in if if he if you uh like um sort of prorate or um uh, or expand uh football season, they used to play sixteen games, and baseball used to, you know still plays one hundred sixty two games. So you could say like in football, each game is technically like ten games, and yeah, so if you think of each game as being ten, that means each playoff game is ten games like as well, which a ten is, game series, which is three more than a uh baseball uh world a baseball series. But yeah. I don't know if that I don't know if that really holds or not. But I think each, in some ways, but in some ways I think because there's more scoring, uh, yeah, and I think also because well, there's a hierarchy of points just in how the mm-hmm. scores are even, you know, completed. I guess right. So yeah. good teams can score more frequently and more powerfully. I guess right. The bigger scores, touchdowns rather than field goals, right? Yeah, yeah. and I, th- and in some ways, it's, it's, it's more coaching matchups in football than certainly in baseball. I think baseball maybe it's putting a lineup together and things like that. And there's a few in-game things, but like for the most part, it's just if your pitcher is not having a good day, yeah, you're not going to do well. Or, right. It's when to make that decision to to make a yeah. change. That can sometimes and, be a factor, yeah. And like the and like your maybe your quarterback won't have a good day or something like that. But I think of quarterback like if it's like Patrick Mahomes, you know, much more like I think it's more likely that he will have a good game than even if you have like Greg Maddox on your pitching staff. And like the Braves had Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin and John Smoltz, you know, three nice. Hall of Fame pitchers, and yeah. they didn't they never won the world's they they won one World Series uh one. together. Uh, they, and, they won the one they won was the one that they were jerks for having won because it was against the the then you know Cleveland Indians right yeah yeah and I was like oh they they were the you know the the team from Major League is finally in the World Series and then and the Braves who'd been there all the time kept losing win that one that's the one yeah that was against the all Indian World Series was the Braves against the Indians yeah. Um, yeah. now we have now we have the Cleveland Guardians. And of course, the Guardians have their one World Series, and we, of course, believe that if if Cleveland had to change its name, they should have changed it to the Spiders. Spiders, for sure. Yeah, going just if they wanted to be historic and tied to Cleveland. Um, Cleveland, right now, I think they are in first place in the AL, in the uh, AL Central, right? I think they're eight, eight and four. Was it? I don't. I don't know. I, I closed that window already. I thought we were talking about basketball now. I thought we were too, but <laughs> I, no. The Cleveland is seven and five. Twins are seven and four. So the yeah, Cleveland the is, Twins are in first, but I'm not sure. Cleveland yeah. is a half game back. Uh, but anyway, um, basketball. Do you think any of the um, teams, the teams seven through ten, in either conference? Now we know the Lakers. One tonight against the Timberwolves, so they will be the seven seed. And what was the the other seven eight game was tonight? Was Atlanta Miami? 
Miami was the finished seventh in the in the standings, uh, but they lost at home to Atlanta. So Atlanta now becomes the seventh seed. Which of those two teams do you think is more dangerous, uh, the Lakers, um, well, or the Hawks? I think it's um, really it doesn't matter who was going to be the seventh seed in the East because um, they they're going to play Boston Celtics, who have an extremely good record uh, this season. The second second best in the NBA, actually, but they're both just happens that the uh, you know best team in the NBA was also in the East, Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, so I don't think they have much of a chance. Um, but the two seed in the West is uh, Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, will be facing the Lakers now in the first round. Yeah, I I I also. I, I expect the Lakers to win the series. Is that what I would assume? I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers won the series either. Yeah, I think the three best teams this year were, were all in the Eastern Conference. I think the Bucks, the Celtics, and 76ers are the three best teams. Um, mm. And they actually ended up having the three best records. Uh, the Nuggets were 53-29 and 29 for first in the Western Conference, but the 76ers were 54-28. and 28. They were uh, third. Uh, mm. But um, I think the West is, like you said, the West is deeper, I think, um, uh, a little bit. But with the extremes are in the East, though, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. Pistons are the worst. Uh, the Spurs and Rockets are both bad, though, too. Mm. Uh, so it's interesting. That, uh, all three Texas teams are out of the playoffs. Did you find it amusing that uh, Dallas missed the playoffs? I kind of did because they after the Kyrie Irving trade, after the Kyrie Irving trade, and then because they rested Luka Doncic, uh, and like they lost this game that knocked him out of the playoffs. It was a little bit like um, what happened with the um, the Washington uh, football team this year when Ron Rivera lost track of uh, what the standings were, and like they lost the game because they didn't really try to win. They thought, okay, we can we, we can win next week when we'll be in the playoffs, but. They were actually eliminated from the playoffs because they lost, and they couldn't win next week and get in. And uh, do you remember that mm. uh, situation? It was. It sounds like something the Redskins would do. Well, the Commanders would do. Commanders, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was. It was something like that. They forgot, kind of, or at least Rivera, like when he was asked about stuff, he was still thinking they were in playoff contention. Uh, uh, but yeah, they lost that game and they couldn't make it because. Uh, and so, like, yeah, uh, no, you can't. I think, I think they, maybe they pulled Taylor Heineke for uh, Wentz or something like that. Oh, and, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, they lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so weird. Um, um, so, are, does that mean we've segued into football? I think so. Since we've, we've, we've broached Carson Wentz territory. Uh, it seems you know he hasn't signed anywhere yet. Uh, the Chiefs don't have a clear-cut backup quarterback, unless you call uh, the Shane uh, Bouchel. You're not saying Shane Bouchel isn't the uh, clear-cut second string. Well, he might be. He might be very talented because the Chiefs did uh, uh, protect him last year, uh, and uh, all see all this past season. Uh, at, by putting him on the actual 53-man 
roster the whole time. Mm. He was inactive as a health, as a healthy scratch. That's great. Um, but he was not on the practice squad because um, they thought that somebody was going to poach him. Uh, mm. I think at one point the Arizona Cardinals were, were going to do that. Uh, but they did. She did bring in um, back from the practice squad Chris Aladakun, uh journeyman quarterback from uh, the uh, college ranks where he played for South Florida, Samford, and South Dakota State over five seasons. Um, he then was drafted last year in the seventh round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, cut right before right before the season started, and the Chiefs picked him up to be on the practice squad the whole year. So um, he is the other – so the Chiefs have three quarterbacks. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, in case you don't know, is third. Oh. is the other quarterback that the Chiefs have on their roster. Oh, that guy. I would say they should give him a chance to start. Uh, I think he's. I think he's proven himself to be ready to uh, uh, try to take the NFL by storm. You don't think it's an open, open contest <laughs> for uh, number one? Well, I, I I guess you could say maybe Mahomes will will, will pretend it is just to maybe uh, get himself a little bit better. You're thinking but, it's 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 he has an edge at least anyway. Yeah, I would say, well, barring. So if Mahomes is hurt really bad, I think some one of those one of those two might be able to take the starting <laughs> job. Although we saw in the playoffs, Mahomes was hurt pretty bad, and he still was pretty good. So um, he'll. Yeah. I, I I I still think probably the Chiefs will bring in somebody that's a kind of that's a veteran to challenge. Bouchelle, unless they unless they really like a lot of con- and. Yeah, and Bouchelle. And Bouchelle, yeah, it's it's I don't know, because like you know, I guess it was, it was said Carson Wentz is still out there. He might sign for pennies. They, I I saw I think we mentioned this. I don't know if we mentioned this on the broadcast or not, but Cam Newton is still out there and he wants to return and he might be a player that could be a decent backup and also a third a third and short fourth and short quarterback in case yeah. so they could they could run sneaks with him. Uh, or like use him as a running back kind of and put him in the backfield with Mahomes. I think that could be fun. Uh, I, I don't know if he can do anything anymore, but it could be interesting. Um, a bruising running type quarterback, but yeah, the, the chiefs have been kind of an enigma this off season. They haven't really signed too many people. They got rid of Orlando Brown, brought in Juwan, uh, Juwan Taylor to play left tackle. It seems Andrew Wiley left. So, we don't know about right tackle. They might draft a guy, or they might, you know, just bring up Lucas Niang. Uh, but a lot of people are thinking that I don't know if you've read this that the, they they think the the Juwan Taylor exchange basically for Orlando Brown is one of the worst moves this off season. Uh, do you agree with that? Do you see the logic of that? I mean, I mean, you can see it in the numbers why the argument can be made because they ended up paying. Taylor more than what yeah I think Taylor ends up getting 20 million a season and Brown about 16 million yeah so they spent four million dollars on a guy who doesn't play the position that they're was a right probably going to ask him to ask him to switch positions so well Brown I mean, was also a right tackle moving to left tackle just like Taylor yeah so I mean it's hard to really question what the Chiefs have you know done in the last several years based on the results from the last several years um so it does seem a little odd it's a little unfortunate maybe that they uh you know spent more than what uh 
uh you know they maybe could have for brown anyway but uh i don't know i mean yeah i, I don't know either. i guess we'll like, see what happens but yeah, yeah it seems like brown didn't want, seems like didn't you want have to, to give the chiefs the benefit of the doubt think, based on their past performance right yeah i think so too and it seems like the, that brown didn't want to play for the chiefs i think the chiefs probably offered brown this much money or a little bit more um last offseason and maybe even this offseason and brown thought well i can get more someplace else and then the chief said okay we'll we'll, we'll just uh use that money we earmarked we'll pay this guy juan taylor he looks like he maybe he's a better pass blocker and we don't need a great run block because we have Patrick mahomes we just want a good pass blocker because that's when that's where orlando brown kind of struggled it was it was against elite uh defensive ends and maybe taylor is a little bit quicker uh than brown he's a little bit more of like a baller uh run blocking uh tackle and and so like yeah, I don't know. I but I, I can see their logic, and yeah, I can also see maybe the conventional wisdom um, as well. But I, 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 yeah, like, like you, I tend to be on the, I tend to give the Chiefs the benefit of the doubt, especially how well they've been doing and how well um, uh, they've they've constructed uh, their rosters uh, uh, the past few years. Uh, and speaking of roster construction. Um, they brought in the Chiefs uh, have brought in another wide receiver, um, uh, that is Richie James, uh, who was on the Giants roster last year. Um, do you think Brett Veach has made another uh, st- uh, steal from the Giants? Uh, they already did this with Kadarius Tony. Uh, they got him for a like a th- late third and a sixth round pick or something like that, and Tony ended up basically winning the Super Bowl for the Chiefs with his uh, corn dog touchdown and then also the, the punt return. Uh, <laughs> that was almost a touchdown. Yeah. Um, yeah, hugely important plays for the team that they may not have won without, yeah. without his, his efforts. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like um, – what is it? Richie James, right? Yeah. Richie James, yeah. It seems like he has more return history than some of the – most of the Chiefs' current core has, anyway. So yeah, I think t- maybe Tony a is a decent returner, but blanket for you don't want, you don't want Tony out there returning unless he really yeah. maybe in the playoff game because he's going to get hurt. You need to or, or maybe around. even Sky Moore too because he had some you know issues yeah, with you know handling several. the ball a few times, at least three uh, drops. But he made some pretty important returns in the playoffs too. So it's uh, he did in that Bengals game. Yeah. So yeah. like it seemed like it seemed like by the end of the season he may have you know gotten rid of that whatever mental issue that seemed to be sort you know maybe, maybe yeah. as partially associated with with his uh yeah fumbling yeah I so or it's mis- one of those things miscatching at least anyway on, on punt returns yeah yeah where the Chiefs also seem to have a fairly deep set of wide receivers like on the practice squad uh they brought in um uh this year john ross who is i think he ran the fastest 40 yard dash recorded at the combine ever yeah 4.22 or something yes he was actually drafted one pick before patrick mahomes in the 2017 draft he went to the bengals and didn't really perform very well ever but the chiefs brought him in as a kind of project they also have justin ross from the um from Clemson, uh, who had been in as an undrafted free agent, who was had a lot of weird injury history and possibly like career-ending um, 
disorders. Uh, like his spine hmm. was fused funny and he had a broken foot. But in college, he was Clemson's by far best wide receiver. And that included uh, when he had T. Higgins on the team. So like maybe, he's, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe he's like really good if he can come back. Like, you know, it's like maybe there's like these guys that the Chiefs think we can, uh, we have diamonds in the rough, but they also might just turn into, you know, it's Josh Gordon all over again. We thought he was really promising, but now he's, you know, in the XFL. Uh, or, or you know, we had uh, whatever Kelvin Benjamin uh, was brought in, or even Sammy Watkins. These kind of high draft picks that didn't really pan out. Watkins played really well in the playoffs one year for the Chiefs, um, but his um, but he was mostly injured in regular season. He's basically he never seemed to. He ended up in Green Bay last year and didn't seem to gel. Well, and then he went to and then he went to the Ravens uh, and didn't do so that great either. He yeah. and Marcus Robinson were both uh, actually on the Ravens, but they were both castoffs from other teams that same season before they went to the Ravens because Marcus Robinson signed a decent contract with the Raiders and he didn't and he didn't latch on, so he went to the Ravens. And then, um, like you said, uh, Sammy Watkins was with the Packers. He could join him there too. He could gel with Aaron Rodgers. Basically, nobody seems like they're able to do that. Yeah, uh, because Aaron Rodgers is never around. He's always, uh, you know, doing ayahuasca or in a darkness retreat or yeah, talking on the Pat McAfee show, something like that. Did you see that um, Mahomes hosted um, a get together for with the receivers like down in Texas? I guess I a week saw or that. two ago. Yeah. But I guess it also featured a, in a strange appearance from Trey Lance. Trey Lance, I heard about Trey Lance. He so is he a pal of Mahomes now? And is he? Gonna, I don't know. Is he? Well, they said that was like the first time he'd been seen publicly throwing a ball in, in uh, you know, since last since the beginning of last season, right? I so. I, I think we have discussed the 49ers more than just about any team, other than the Chiefs on the one trick power hour the last several months. Yeah. And part of that is because we're intrigued so much by the 49ers quarterback situation. Yeah. And is this something like you know, Lance is going to train the practice Mahomes because he is very, very concerned about being the odd man out in San Francisco because yeah, it seems like showed what he could do last year. And that was be a solid NFL quarterback. And then they brought in Sam Darnold, who was perhaps just as talented as Trey Lance with probably more polish than Lance, even though both of them had kind of checkered starts. Uh, though, you know, Darnold was thought maybe at one point to be the number one overall pick in a um, in the NFL uh, draft that year, even though he wasn't the first quarterback taken, Baker Mayfield was, but he was thought to be like the person that probably should have gone number one overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and Lance, they, the, Niners spent a lot of money for him, but he hasn't been on the field. He's been he's been kind of spotty in his performance. He's been injured. Is this maybe? Do you think it's Lance uh, trying to get some of the Mahomes magic to rub off on him? Could be. I mean, it doesn't seem to hurt. It's interesting that he was there. Those are on different teams, but do you think uh, he invited? Do you think Mahomes invited him? I don't know. That's what I. That's what I'm not sure. That maybe they have mutual friends, or maybe they know each other. I don't know. I have no idea. Trey Lance is from Minnesota. Yeah, he was born in Marshall, Minnesota. He went to North Dakota State for college. 
his father was a CFL player. So like, you know, uh, I guess they both have pro athlete fathers. His father uh, Mahomes was a major league baseball player. I guess Mahomes' dad played for a long time in Minnesota. Uh, and so maybe there's that. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Minnesota uh, connection. I don't know. But yeah, I had never seen, I had never seen or associated the two of them together. Yeah. Because they, they, yeah. they didn't go to the same school. They didn't go, they weren't in the same conference even, right? So. And w- yeah, and I don't think, well, when the Chiefs played the 49ers, um, in the Super Bowl, Lance wasn't yet on the team. And when they played the 49ers this past well, season, but not, was, but not playing in the game. Lance was injured already. Yeah. So I don't know if. And when they played him in the regular season, also injured. They yeah, he's injured. Yeah. 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 When they played the Super Bowl, uh, Lance hadn't been drafted yet. So, like, uh, so like, even though they, yeah, That's, last, yeah, last season, they, yeah. when the Chiefs ended up rolling the 49ers in yeah. McCaffrey's first game, um, also a game that Brock Purdy got into late. And he almost led the, led the Niners into a, a late touchdown drive, but he was intercepted in the end zone, I think. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know the connection. And that's interesting, though. But yeah. I think, yeah, because I would have guessed, oh, maybe, maybe Lance is from Texas, and that's why or something. But maybe, but yeah, it, it, it turns out no. So I don't, I don't know what the connection is there. Yeah, this here an agent, maybe. I don't know. But um, you know, we talk a lot about San Francisco. We also talk a bit about Baltimore. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the, the the new move that Baltimore had has made uh, this last week, spending quite a lot of money on on Odell Beckham? Yeah, it was it was more money than I thought anyone would spend on him. Actually, I was thinking because like I think the rumor was the Chiefs offered him like four or five million, something like that. Pleasant said it was this kind of Juju Smith Schuster type contract, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that would have been more than fair for because Beckham is older and he's coming off a lot of injuries lately. He missed the entire last season injured, yeah. although maybe he could have played a little bit, but I think his demands were very high. And I think also, well, Beckham, apparently I think, all, yeah, apparently, yeah, I think also Beckham probably wants to be the number one guy and that's not going to be the case in Kansas city with Kelsey around. And even in the receiving room, it seems like Tony is, is the air is the, heir apparent as the number one wide receiver so um Valdez Scantling maybe too I don't know yeah they don't the Chiefs don't really need a number one wide receiver they just kind of it's a committee really committee it's somebody has to have a leadership role though right yeah quite frankly it looks a lot like the Baltimore uh wide receiver uh committee uh as it's been or uh however Mahomes has been able to thrive with a you know in the post uh Tyreek Hill era and Jackson yeah, he did okay when he was healthy, but yeah, but a but a strong tight end, and then a, a kind of a lot of speedy receivers, right? That's yeah, but no, nobody's a clear like number one. I don't think. In, no, yeah, maybe Duvernay. I don't know, but yeah, it's going to be Beckham, I think. But that's that was a lot of money, fifteen million, uh, for somebody who was it eighteen or fifteen million? Fifteen million guaranteed. Okay, up to eighteen million with incentives. So. That's wow. a lot, and this is also a team that's publicly kind of not paying Lamar what he wants. And does this mean well, that Jackson doesn't seem happy, or you know, 
planning on necessarily even playing the contract he currently has. So, is yeah, I don't the non-exclusive tag for one season, and that's not the deal he wants. So, it doesn't seem like he's happy. You think the Odell Beckham Jr. Trey uh, pickup makes him happier, or do you think he is still looking around? I think it. I think both. I think it makes him a little happier. But I think also he's going to be looking around because he wants to get paid. I think that's more important than than, than anything. Um, I think he feels like his um, like he has been insulted by the league, and they are not offering him enough money. Uh, I think partly they are not offering him very much money is because he does not have an agent negotiating for him. Uh, this is yeah something that's a big problem uh, for and it's like you know it's stupid. Quite frankly, not to have an agent unless you know you have very specific circumstances. Yeah, uh, I think well, Laramie Tunzel doesn't doesn't have an agent, but he was negotiating with the same team he had. And they were going to give him much money. I, I think probably if he had a tough time, he was going to probably he would probably go hire an agent to take. Well, you know, it's only three percent of your money, uh, and if he can, if he can get more than three percent higher salary, uh, that the agent will pay for himself. Uh, right, you know, not to, just making contacts and kind of always being. In, calling people and like able to you know do this in a way that a player who's busy playing and working out and, and doing other things like that can't but I just yeah it's I think Jackson feels like he needs to be validated by a very high salary yeah and he's not getting that from Baltimore at the moment and it doesn't look like he might get it from anybody maybe until after the draft, because I guess it's possible that one of those quarterback community teams doesn't end up with one of the high draft quarterbacks and thinks, mm-hmm. well, maybe we can use Jackson as either uh, a win now kind of quarterback, or at least somebody who can, or somebody maybe who can, bump us into the Super Bowl, especially if we're in the NFC, because the NFC sucks, quite frankly, when it comes to quarterback yeah. play. Uh, especially if Aaron Rodgers leaves at one point to go to the Jets. Again, maybe even the Jets would say, well, we don't know if Aaron Rodgers is coming. If we have Lamar Jackson, I would say Lamar Jackson is a better quarterback than even if you say even if you have to pay Lamar fifty million for four years or whatever, that rather than Rodgers would be fifty for two years. Yeah. You know, even if you're gonna get him for both years. Um, I would rather have Lamar Jackson uh, than Aaron Rodgers, uh, but yeah. again, there's there's the injury risks and things that they put Rodgers. So I don't. It's hard to say, but um, like I would say that Odell Beckham is running a big risk of of ending up on a team that has, you know. Um, doesn't have the ability to get him the ball, right? Tyler, if he, if yeah. Lamar Jackson doesn't doesn't play. We have Tyler Hunt, Tyler Huntley as their starting quarterback. Or, I mean, he's know. getting paid. Like he's, he's, I mean, he's actually going to get fifteen million dollars next year, guaranteed. Apparently, yeah. right? So, but I think he wants to win too, doesn't he? Maybe he thinks, "Well, I already have the Super Bowl ring. I got it with yeah. uh, Rams. Maybe I can just maybe just making money this year, and then." next year if i'm going to keep playing i mean maybe he thinks though too that if if like you know the team is terrible but he is playing well and and uh you know maybe he can can coax a trade even too and then baltimore will be made whole uh you know with something that you know they could acquire 
for the remainder of Beckham's tra- uh, you know contract. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't see how this plays out in a way that's positive for Baltimore. Yeah, I think. Well, I saw recently on the New York Post, uh, Lamar Jackson and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. were at, were seen at a at a trendy nightclub in Miami yeah. together. Uh, so maybe there, maybe, maybe this means that uh, Lamar is coming back to Miami. Um, but it's one of those things as well. Is even if Lamar Jackson is going to be there, is Beckham going to get the ball enough for his liking? Because the we know what the Baltimore Ravens offense is, is it's run, 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 and maybe pass if you, you know, if you see an open because they're you know guarding the run so much. And, but he also, like you said, they have a tight end who takes. Um, a lot of the targets, uh, Mark Andrews is probably, you know, which is well, he's one definitely probably one of the top three tight ends, uh, in the NFL. Uh, depends on where you rank, uh, George Kittle. You might think Kittle is more talented, but he's less available, uh, yeah, than, than Andrews has been. But, uh, it's a, it's a similar situation than if he come from Kansas City with Kelsey, I think. But um, anyway, I don't I don't have too many other thoughts on the Ravens. Do we have any other thoughts on on the NFL? Uh, the draft is coming up in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Are Are you going to be there? I'll be in Kansas City, but I don't know. I'm not planning on going to the draft. What, anyway, so. what day is it? The twenty twenty eighth, something like that. Yeah, Friday through Sunday, I guess, or what Thursday, Thursday through Saturday. Thursday through Sunday, maybe. Yeah, something like that. You should, I think, yeah, you should go down if you want. It's, it's not, uh, it's gonna be Union Station, right? Yep. I heard three hundred to six hundred thousand people are expected. I don't see how that's possible, but we'll, we'll see. Because that'd maybe be like, a, that'd be like, that'd be like the uh, parade turnout. Yeah, maybe it's over the course of all three days. Yeah, maybe that's it. I mean, I could see, you know, something like, you know. 10 to 20,000 people from out of town are going to be here, which is really going to fill up downtown. I, I think it's going to, you know, a lot of the locals are not going to go downtown that week because they know it's going to be a mess because yeah. it will be thousands of extra people in town from that aren't normally, yeah. there, you know, in the downtown area. I, I would guess at least one, I guess there would be at least how many, how many people do you think from each NFL team go to the draft? Do you think, 30 people from yeah say, so I mean, the, the bears is, yeah 25 people the, from every team i would guess yeah, at least um so that would take a thousand that's like a thousand people right there is just team yeah. personnel within uh, media and media probably the same number maybe more actually i don't i don't know i mean however i mean the crews themselves are fairly large for the many? broadcast the broadcast crews and then and then they have like 19 guys at the table uh yeah, yeah just to, just on the uh, broadcast booth itself is going to be at least 20 30 people right yeah, they just keep right, right that, in a row they make that table bigger and bigger like on the analysts yeah. of, of, like, those guys offer no insight whatsoever it seems like uh it's like okay let's have coach cower now let's have this other let's have for some reason yeah. we will have both both phil sims and boomer esiason each of which is like we need another Do you know, can you tell which one's which just by glancing well, at them i can but like we need another 1980s extremely blonde quarterback uh, yeah <laughs> yeah 
and um it's it's yeah it's kind of um and that's like you know we need you know james brown the other james brown and not and that then, james brown and then the fox rehires hires kurt menifee who looks sort of like a young james brown like everybody like and james brown looks sort of like a like a black uh chris berman i think and <laughs> you know <laughs> they have that same build like it's like they're all like the same kind of people and i don't know exactly yeah. how they uh fit in or what the what they offer they fill the role based on the personality of the guy on another network is that what it is? that seems like the easiest job in the world though yeah. the, but you have, i guess you have to be a famous player to get that job of Terry bradshaw or yeah Michael Strahan or or like those like it's yeah. like you know they have they have bubbly kind of fun personalities but like charismatic at least middling player right yeah but like Tony, the best player but yeah but Tony Gonzalez is his analyst and analysis is bad but he was a good player and he's sort of attractive in that kind of Rick Fox kind of way uh that uh he wasn't basketball remember him yeah uh, he was always sort of this heart. He was always seen as like this kind of heartthrob when he was guest starring on like TV shows. Yeah, I think he still um, does some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, TV movies stuff. Yeah, because of his uh, sort of uh, rugged, multi-ethnic good looks, and um, like Dwayne, you know, it's like you know, uh, Dwayne Johnson is the pinnacle of that of that um, group. That uh, Rick Fox and uh, Tony Gonzalez and uh, I don't know who else was trying to get into that group i used to yeah uh but anyway uh <laughs> but then there's and then, and then sometimes there's the attractive um female uh sportscaster uh and but lately it's been good because like, some of the women um it seems like have been hired uh for their ana- analytical skills i think i mean kimes is pretty good on espn mm-hmm. uh and and some of the other and some of the other uh nfl network has some has some like it's, it's in some ways it's diversified but for i guess for uh but it's uh, still, it's kind of players with mediocre and out analytical skills that have become yeah. like the main guys for some reason, and I don't know if that really brings in people uh, or not. But like, well, Sean McCoy is on like his Fox Sports show now. Have really? you seen that? Yeah, yeah, he's an analyst, and he's not good, but uh, he's is this specifically for draft analysis or just no? It's 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 like it's like one of those around the, analysis horn, general. around the horn kind of. Uh, oh, okay table shouting kind of shows um yeah do, do, do you enjoy draft coverage or do you find it mostly worthless to you i kind of like it just so i can know because like especially as i follow college football a little bit less yeah i like to know maybe who some of the good players are coming out yeah and so i find it informative and you know i will i actually will watch some of the draft probably uh, I just kind of have it on the background. I I like to, I like to see who the Chiefs pick, and you know see, that's heard... that's what it, it comes down to. Is I think I think people are interested in the team in the getting to know the players that the team drafts. But it, b- before the draft, it's totally irrelevant what they talk about <laughs> for like <laughs> hundreds of hours of lead up. It doesn't matter who any of those guys are to you <laughs> until they get actually signed to your team. Does it matter even the slightest amount, though? Right? I guess if you play fantasy football, uh, you want to know who the you guys in the league are. Well, you're talking about who your you know twelfth to fifteenth round picks are going to be. <laughs> yeah. Also, I guess maybe if you follow a college team, like 
you want to you know I want to see what the Arkansas guys are like or what the you might yeah. the Iowa Iowa State guys or something if they go to a person. But I I, I kind of like I don't know I find it interesting. I like the statistical stuff and like it's boring and kind of dumb a lot of times. And Mel Kiper I don't think knows what he's talking about usually, but like it's. I, do you do I you like know. you know set a set a reminder to check out Kuiper's draft <laughs> 3.0? I don't really listen to those, but I kind of I, I kind of listen to Topic Shape Talk on the TV or whatever. But like, it doesn't really. Um, no. It doesn't. I don't know. I, I it's just hard, but I watch I watch football because it's on and um, yeah, it's part of the watching football. So I guess I do watch more of it, but I don't find yeah. like I don't. I guess I find it more interesting than you find it, but I don't. You know, for, for me, pre-draft coverage is the absolute bottom of the barrel for useful <laughs> information. In the in the course of sports in an entire season, it is the worst time of the year. I guess also because <laughs> you think, oh, I really like this player. But at best, there's a 1 in 32 chance that you're going to end up with a yeah, player so, I mean, on your team. So you know, it's like a, every time you're interested in somebody, it's like a lottery pick. Yeah. Like, I mean, you may as well... Yeah, just buy buy a lottery ticket because like mm-hmm. better chances of of winning something there than than you know picking the guy that you think they're gonna pick that your your team's mm-hmm. gonna pick right. Yeah, I I guess maybe also if you're really into betting, you can bet on the draft. You can. And... <laughs> Why would you want to? <laughs> hey, if you if if you think like you have an edge. Like you know, that's why you bet on it, right? Because you think you can make money off of it, and you can, you can, you know, beat the squares, beat the rubes, and you know, I can tell that this guy's the Chiefs are going to draft this guy, um, or like maybe five, six, five, six picks ahead, you can you can make your bet and say the Chiefs are going to pick this guy. I think yeah. there is more betting than there used to be on the draft, so um, maybe we could look into that uh, next week or the week after about draft betting because we we'll, we didn't we didn't make any bets this 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 week. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If we, I don't think we can. We can take a look at it, but it's going to be a hard pass for me from the negative on the track. <laughs> we can bet the NBA Finals or something, but that's not. I think that I'll go with that one. Okay, we can do that. Um, since since you think we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, but using not only is uh, NFL draft pre-draft coverage uh, talking about the draft is one thing, but like speculation so about like individual what about talk, players. What about talking again? about? What about talking about talking about the draft? Is that is that somehow lower even, or is it's it more interesting somehow? More interesting a, than the actual draft pre-draft analysis because it's it's got this kind of meta, uh, yeah, coverage or it's because you're talking about a concept which is like you know somewhat, you know, rational at least anyway. But yeah, yeah. well, mock drafts and I mean ESPN yeah. spends. Hundreds of, of hours on mock drafts that are not valuable anyway. <laughs> I don't care. I'd rather talk you, about you don't golf want to see Tom I don't uh, want to talk about golf. Draft 3.0 or maybe it's draft 3.5 that has a new trade and then compare that with Mel Kuyper's uh, latest picks. Uh, but then also, uh, you know, um, go to the NFL Network and see what they're uh, No, let's not do that. Say that is he back on the NFL Network now that he's not a Raiders GM anymore? I don't know. Um, no idea. But maybe we can leave the we can leave this draft talk talk uh, until yes. Now we're now we're starting to get into draft talk talk. Yes. Talk. Uh, since we're talking about ourselves, talking about pre-draft coverage. Talk 
about the draft. Um, yes. So we're, we're really into the through the looking glass uh, now. But um, do you th- I think I think before we get uh, into a final fifth dimension of of uh, talking about the NFL draft or talking about those who talk about those who talk about the NFL draft, uh, should we wrap up this week's episode? Of yeah. The Hour? Yes, I think so. I think I think we, I think it's uh, a time uh, to uh, end, unfortunately, for this week. Uh, but we will be back again next week uh, via one of our many. Uh, you can you can you can uh, access us via one of our many uh, conveyances and vehicles of of uh, podcast talk, uh, video uh, coverage, and. Uh, we thank you again for uh, listening and sticking around with us. Uh, you might uh, see that we're more incoherent than normal because we're finishing this uh, segment at 2.22 right now, a.m. Eastern time, which is where I am, 1.22 Central time. So we're, we're, we're uh, both uh, really burning the midnight oil here. And Post-midnight oil. Post-midnight oil. We, we, <laughs> we, uh, we, are into the, we are into the early morning uh well, luckily, the days are getting longer, so our oil supply, uh, if we had it, uh, if we kept it consistent, we, we you know, we'd be able to last the night more easily uh, because of uh, the uh, increasing uh, daylight hours. But I digress, as usual. Dr. Scaff digresses, as usual. Uh, but um, we will uh, see you again. I, of course, am Dr. Michael Lerman. He is Dr. Andrew Scaff. We are the Warning Track Power Hour. Please like and subscribe to our uh, podcast or YouTube channel. And as always, uh, enjoy your uh, sporting weekends. And we will return next week with even more exciting insights and anecdotes on, you know, decades old uh, baseball teams and uh, you know, uh, the, you know, incongruities and intricacies of NFL draft coverage just to irritate Dr. Scaff. Uh, but until then, we'll wish you a good day. <laughs>